and welcome to the New City Church Podcast. I'm Benjamin Komanopoli Jr., pastor of New City Church Hyderabad. This is where you will hear messages preached at our church. It's my prayer that the incorruptible seed of God's Word will strengthen you, build you, and help you receive the abundant life that Jesus came to give you. Enjoy the Word and be blessed. All right. Amen. All right. Let's stand to our feet. Let's make our confession. And then we get into the Word. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. For all of you joining us live um, or on YouTube, we welcome you and Facebook as well. For those of you who are joining us on Facebook, um, we welcome you and uh, we pray that you're going to be blessed by the Word. Amen. Let's make our confession. One, two, three, go. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. And I can do what it says I can do. Today, I will be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess, my mind is alert, my heart is receptive. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. And my life will never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Please have a seat. Well, we're going to continue in, in the series of knowing God, but uh, specifically, we're dealing in, in the, uh, you can call it part B of that uh, series, and part B of the series is the ways of prayer. Everyone say the ways of prayer. And I believe we're in week three of learning about prayer and understanding prayer, and so that every single one of us can walk in the ways of God, and one of those ways of God is the way of prayer. Guys, I'm getting a lot of bounce uh, from the back, all right? Um, so, so let's make sure that we understand this. Now, over the last two weeks, we began to understand what prayer is. Prayer should not just simply be a, 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 a time where we're doing some religious activity or, you know, ritualistic ways of doing things. But we must understand that prayer must have results and must have an impact in our everyday life. Hallelujah. So if somebody is saying, I am praying, that means they must be able to see certain results manifesting in their life. If you're dealing with an issue in life and you're saying, I'm about to pray regarding this issue, that means what you are essentially saying or what you must be essentially saying is, I'm going to make sure things change in this situation. Amen? So it's not just I'm hoping and praying. I tried everything that I need to try, and I did everything that I could do in the flesh, in the natural, and now that all hope is lost, now that there is nothing else I can do, let me just pray and see if God will do something. That should never be the attitude of a Christian when it comes to prayer. Amen? And so, when we, so what we're understanding is prayer is not just reciting some words. Prayer is not just doing some religious activity. But prayer is, is, a, is an act of faith. And prayer is you um, engaging in the ways of God, engaging in spiritual realities so that you will see the word of God. You will see the promises of God manifest in your everyday life. If you understand that, say amen. Last week especially, we started talking about certain keys to effective prayer. Everyone say effective prayer. And I pray that the, the, what you are learning is helping you renew your mind regarding prayer and pray in an effective manner. Today, what I want to do is, in the time that we have, I want us to look at certain hindrances to effective prayer. 
hindrances to effective prayer. Because just as God has a plan for our lives, and just as God has a way of prayer for every single one of us, as a means of approaching Him, as a means of making sure that His will comes to pass in our life, as a means of communing uh, uh, and spending time in His presence, we must also understand that there is always the counter uh, uh, attack for it. There is always the other side to that coin. And the other side to that coin is that the devil also has a plan. So whenever you are praying, the devil also has a plan to hinder the progress that you're trying to make through prayer. If you understand that, say amen. All right. Now, a couple of things that we must understand again foundationally or just as a reminder. In prayer, we are, number one, communing with God. Everyone say communing with God. So we're spending time in the presence of God. That means we're talking to God. And not only are we talking to God, communing with God includes God talking to you. That means this is the time when you go before God and say, God, this, these are the things, these are my concerns, or these are the things that I'm thinking about my future. This is what I'm thinking about my family. This is what I'm thinking about my business. This is what I'm thinking about my finances. This is what I'm thinking about my future, my education, whatever the case may be. And then you wait on God so that he can lead you and guide you in, in, the, in the ways of life. So that he can lead you by his wisdom. So that you can receive the word of God. And then through that received word, you begin to take steps of faith and walk into the destiny that God has for your life. So uh, when it comes to prayer, one of the things that we must understand is that prayer is about communing with God. Before you go ahead and just make your demands, before you just go ahead and make your request, the first thing is commune with God. Why? Because certain times you might be asking for certain things and that's not God's best for your life. You understand that? Sometimes you can be thinking about one particular job. You might be thinking about one particular person about your marriage. You can be thinking about one particular country about the visa that you're looking for. And maybe that's not God's best for your life. But because you don't understand or discern God's will for your life, you're just going based on the information that you currently have. But God does not operate by the information that you have in the, in the, uh, based on the present circumstances. God operates in your life based on the divine plans and divine purposes that he has for your life. If you understand that, say amen. So even though there are certain things that might seem impossible, even though you are looking at your family, you're looking at your friends and saying, oh, that's the path that they took. This is the path that my friends are taking. This is the path that my parents took. Now, because my parents took a certain path, I need to take that path. Or my friends are taking this path, so I need to take that path. So what happens? Everyone is applying for U.S. visa, so I'm going to apply for U.S. visa. Everyone is applying for the U.K. visa, so I will also, along with my friends, apply for U.K. visa. Are you understanding that? And so what happens is, you, you did not take the time to ask God, you did not take the time to commune with God. You did not take the time to receive wisdom from God or guidance from God. And yet you got so busy in asking God before you received wisdom. Are you understanding that? So the first thing is that, that before you approach God with certain things. Now, let me also say this. The things that, you, that are explicitly um, uh, expressed in the, in the new covenant, the things that are explicitly uh, clear regarding the will of God for our lives, for example, healing, we know that it is the finished work of the cross, right? We know that it, by his stripes you were healed. We know that. 
So you don't go to God and say, God, uh, uh, I, uh, you know, my, my mother, my father, my uncle, my friend is in the ICU right now. Uh, I'm just communing with you. I, I just want to know uh, if it is your will to heal my friend who's 40 years old. Are you understanding that? You don't need to have that conversation. Why? Because you already know the will of God concerning that 40-year-old man. Are you understanding that? Now, let me also say this. What if your uh, uh, great-grandmother or somebody who's in the hospital and she's 90 years old right now? How do you pray regarding that? Because sometimes when I teach on healing and other things, uh, 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 people who have uh, a 90-year-old, 85-year-old, or you know, somebody in the hospital, and, and you know, uh, 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 they're still praying for healing in regards to that person. Now, remember, one of the uh, 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 promises of God is a long and a satisfied life. A long and a satisfied life. One of the things is that if you sow the right kinds of seed in your life, when you are that old, you should not be afraid of death. You shouldn't be afraid of death. Why? All of this time, you're, you're trying to tell me that you've been coming to church, that you've been praying, that you say you are a child of God, and you say that you have the Holy Spirit, you say you are communing with God for all of these decades, and then at that time you are afraid of dying? You are afraid of leaving the earth? You are afraid of going to and standing in the presence of your heavenly Father? That means something is wrong. Are you understanding that? Something is wrong. So yes, we understand that there is going to t come a time in our life when we are going to say goodbye or temporarily goodbye to our elders. Are we understanding that? So it's not that we will never have to say goodbye or at least, at the very least, we will have to say, I'll see you again soon. Are you understanding that? Or at the very least, we must be able to say, I'll see you on the other side. We must be able to say that. So you cannot have somebody who is 95 years old in the hospital and when they die, you are crying and saying, I don't know why God is not answering my prayers. What do you expect them to do? Stay in the hospital in that kind of state, having no energy and, and just why? Sustain, like doing what on the earth? What's the purpose of them being here? See, if you're living, that means you are blessed to be a, be a blessing. You're blessed to be a blessing. So if, if that means, now again, I'm not saying anything that, that once you're old, time to check out. That's not what I'm saying. All right? But you must be in a place where you're being a blessing. You can be a great grandmother and you can be at home and you can be praying for somebody. You can be still speaking wisdom into the lives of other people. You can be calling out the gifts and callings of God in the lives of people. Are you understanding that? Hallelujah. See, my grandmother, for example... She's an elderly woman. She's in her 80s. But I know it's not time for her to leave yet. Why? Because she's still a great blessing to so many. She's not a burden to anybody. She's a blessing. Hallelujah. That's the way we are supposed to live. And when the, when the body is, is not functioning anymore, when the body is giving up, the spirit is still strong. So you say, I'll see you guys on the other side. Goodbye. I'll see you when you get there. And you check out. And then, yes, there might be tears when we, when, when we say goodbye to our loved ones, but you're not crying like somebody that does not have hope. Hallelujah. See, we even cry when somebody gets a visa and they're going off to college for a few years to America or to New Zealand or to UK or something like that. So, the way you cry there, 
You might cry at the funeral, you might cry at the memorial service or something. Why? Because they, they, they were always with you and right now their body is not with you. You can't hear them say hello to you. So yes, will there be some kind of uh, uh, tug emotionally? Sure. Is it wrong to cry? No. But we do not cry like people who have no hope. Hallelujah. What is promised is a long and a satisfied life. Hallelujah. So we go, that is what we believe God for. That's why when I pray, I pray that we, there should be no untimely death. No untimely death. That means if you have not lived a long and a satisfied life, you must not die. You must not die. But if you're somebody that is going, walking in the ways of God, you're receiving the word, you're growing in the things of God, you're sowing seeds throughout your life. Hallelujah. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, you come into the presence of God every Sunday. You come into the presence of God when there is times of prayer. You pay, you pay attention to this, uh, the word of God. You renew your mind according to the word of God. There is no fear in death. Hallelujah. No fear in death. So when it comes to somebody that has already lived a long and satisfied life, you can say, God, talk to me. What is it? What must happen? Is it time for us to say goodbye? Are you understanding that? And you can go, you can pray and say, grandma, great grandma, great granddad, whatever. I know this is going to be a little painful uh, uh, to say goodbye. Not, death is not painful. Are you understanding that? The Bible says to be absent in, from the body is to be present with the Lord. I mean, it, it, it's that quick. That quick. You, you are here and then you're in the presence of God. You're in the presence of God. Can we give a clap offering unto Jesus? You're in the presence of God. You're here one minute. You're in the presence of God. That's it. That's the, that's the glorious hope every child of God has. That's a glorious hope. That's why death, where is your sting? You don't have to be afraid of death. Hallelujah. You don't have to be afraid of death. So, so the way you approach the things of God, so when you go communing with God, you receive the wisdom of God. And then you say, based on the wisdom of God, now you get into attack. Now you begin to enforce those things in your life. If you understand that, say amen. All right. So the second thing is making requests and petitions. In prayer, we are making requests and petitions. This is what prayer is predominantly, uh, uh, when we talk about prayer, this is what we're predominantly talking about. People going to God and making requests and petitions. And we talked a lot about that over the last couple of uh, uh, weeks as well. We understood how we are supposed to approach God and receive those petitions. And number three, it is also in prayer, we are enforcing the victory that belongs to us through Christ. We're enforcing the victory that belongs to us through Christ Jesus. Now, why do we have to enforce? The reason we have to enforce is because there is a devil. And as long as there is a devil, he is always going to steal, kill, and destroy. And so the victory belongs to us, but however, he's not going to just let us walk in on a red carpet and experience victory. He's always going to do something or the other in our lives to steal, kill, and destroy. And it is our responsibility with the authority of God upon our lives, with the grace of God upon our lives, to enforce the victory that belongs to us in Jesus. Amen. All right. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11 says this. It says, to keep Satan from getting the advantage over us, for we are not ignorant of the wiles and 
intentions. We are not ignorant of the wiles and intentions. Now that word wiles uh, may be unfamiliar to some of you in the Amplified uh, uh, Classic, but the Bible says the, the same word in other translations is uh, uh, translated as devices of the enemy. We should not be ignorant of the devices of the enemy. Just like we should not be ignorant of the will of God, we should not be ignorant of the word of God. We should not be ignorant of the ways and the commands of God in our life. At the same time, we should not be ignorant of the tactics, of the plans, of the schemes, of the devices, or the, or the wiles of the enemy. That means we must understand every attack that is possible in our lives, and we must be prepared to face those attacks. Amen? Any army, any air force, what did they do in practice? They, they practiced how the enemy might approach them, how the enemy might attack them. And so here the Bible is saying, and Paul speaking here, he says, we should not be ignorant of the tactics of the enemy. All right. In 1 Peter, let me give you an example. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 7 in the Amplified. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. He says, in the same way, you married men should live considerably with your wives with an intelligent recognition of the marriage relationship, honoring the woman as physically the weaker, but realizing that you are joint heirs of the grace, God's unmerited favor of life. Look at what it says now. In order that your prayers may not be hindered, everyone say hindered. He says, in order that your prayers may not be hindered and cut off, otherwise you cannot pray effectively. So now here he's talking about the relationship between a husband and wife. And he says, now, even after knowing the ways of God, even after knowing the will of the Father, even after knowing the promises of God, he says, if the enemy can bring division in your household, if the enemy can bring division between the husband and wife, he says, that is going to cause your prayer life to be ineffective. That means you can be coming and praying, and yet you will be ineffective in your prayer life. That means you're not going to see the kind of results that you must be seeing. And here, especially in this translation, he says that your prayers may not be hindered. Everyone say hindered. That means somebody can be engaging in a time of prayer. You can come to the prayer meeting, you can, be you can be seen by others like you're praying, but at the same time, if there are unresolved issues in your, in your uh, uh, family, if there are unresolved issues when it comes to your uh, marriage relationship, now here he says that there is a possibility that your prayers can be hindered. And so we must realize, we must understand that it is not just speaking by faith or talking by faith and praying by faith. We must make sure that there are no hindrances when we pray. If you understand that, say amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 18. Another example. Here, the apostle Paul says, because it was in our uh, will to come to you. I mean that I, Paul again and again, wanted to come, but Satan hindered and impeded us. Who hindered him? Satan hindered him. So he had a desire to come. Over and over again he had that desire. But Satan was hindering him. Are you understanding that? Satan was hindering him. So it, we must understand, Satan is always going to try to hinder us, but we can overcome. Hallelujah. All right. Now let me talk in the time that we have, a couple of hindrances that we normally face when it comes to our prayer life. Hindrances to effective prayer. Number one. Lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge. 
Why? Because faith begins where the will of God is known. If you do not know the will of God, if you do not have knowledge, Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed for a lack of, come on everybody, lack of, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. He says they have rejected knowledge. So you can be a child of God, you can be somebody that comes to church, but if you do not pay attention to knowledge, if you are not growing in knowledge, then the lack of knowledge in your life can become a hindrance to your prayer life. Why? Because if you don't have the right knowledge, you can be, uh, um, you, you may assume that you are spending time in prayer, you may assume that you are making requests, you may assume you are praying by faith, and yet in reality, you may not be doing any of those things. All right? 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8 in the NLT. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. It says, But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't being... Sorry, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he is, not, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone, everyone say anyone. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. He wants everyone to repent. Now, here is what I want you to understand. Lack of knowledge will cause you to have certain assumptions about God. Lack of knowledge will cause you to have certain assumptions about God. Here the Bible very clearly says, what is, his, what, does, what is his will? He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. That's what he wants. He wants everyone to repent. However, does everyone repent? Come on, talk to me. No, they do not repent. Even though it is the will of God, they do not repent. So one of the things that normally happens is, in the, even in the Christian faith, and it is actually, I believe, borrowed from other faiths, and we have an unrenewed mind, and so there are certain things that we've heard our family members or people of different faiths say and repeat like a parrot over and over again, and we've borrowed certain uh, world's ways of thinking into our Christian life. And so one of those things is, anything that is the will of God will automatically happen. If God wants it, it will happen. If God wants me to marry that person, I know it will happen. If God wants me to get the visa, I know it will happen. If God wants that person to be healed, I know it will happen. I recently heard a person even say that if God wants a person to be healed, you don't even have to pray for them, they will get healed. You don't have to believe they will get healed. And they, so this is a person that has been a Christian for a long time. And they're repeating this thing over and over again. And that proves a lack of, a lack of knowledge. But remember... But if they are continuing to live with that lack of knowledge, their prayer life is going to, uh, uh, um, you know, manifest according to the knowledge that they're living with. Based on that knowledge, they're going to start praying. Based on the knowledge, they're going to start believing God. Based on the knowledge, they're going to think a certain way, speak a certain way, and pray a certain way. So here the Bible is saying, it is God's will that none should perish, but that everyone come to repentance. So what do we understand through the scripture? What we understand through the scripture is, even though there are certain things that are the will of God for your life and for my life, God has given to every human being the capacity to choose, and he will never override your choice. Are you understanding that? Now that's knowledge that you must possess. 
That's knowledge that you must have before you approach God in prayer. Because if you do not understand that basic foundational aspect of who God is and how he relates to your life, how does he relate? Who is God? He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And yet, how does he relate to your life? He says, I will not violate your will. You get that? All-powerful, all-knowing, good and gracious towards you, and yet he says, I will not violate your will. I will not violate your choice. Again, I preach on this many times, Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19. He says, I place before you life and death, blessing and cursing. He says, you choose. Why? Because ultimately, whatever choice you make, I'm going to stand by that choice. I'm going, because why? I've created you to, to, to experience life that way. I didn't create you to be my slave. I didn't create you to be my robot. I created you as a free moral agent. That means I'm going to place choices before you and you get to choose. Everyone say, I get to choose. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say, I get to choose. Now, some of you might say, but pastor, you, you were saying that instead of just talking to God, you must first ask him for his will. Yeah, the reason is because he knows more than you. Not because you cannot choose. He knows more than you. Right? You go to a car showroom. You want to buy a car. Well, you ask them all the questions. They'll tell you, what's the difference between this car and this car? Okay, in the same car, what's the difference between all the variants? They're not making the choice for you. They're just giving you all the information that you need. And then they will make a recommendation. They'll say, uh, uh, um, sir, I think it's best that you go for this particular car and this particular model for your needs and for your family. Or you go for this particular bike and I, take, I, I think it will be best if you take these certain options for your bike. Why? Because of your requirement and how you're going to use this bike. But they're not going to make the final choice. You're going to make the final choice. See, because he's all-knowing, he knows your destiny. He knows where he wants you to be. He knows everything good and perfect for your life. However, he says, you choose. You choose. Why? Because I have a plan for your life. But if you choose not to walk according to it, that's okay. That's your choice. So you must understand that God will not violate his will. Sorry, your will. God will not violate your will. So here we see that God wants everyone to be saved, but everyone are not saved. But if you do not have this understanding, then even when you pray, you will pray with a lack of knowledge. You will pray with this understanding, whatever God's will, it will happen. Whatever God's will, it will happen. And my friends, I want you to know, just because it's God's will does not mean it will happen. Are you understanding that? Now, there are, let me also say this, a small asterisk to that statement. There are certain things, yes, in whether or not you pray, they will happen. Certain things, very few things. What are those things? For example, the first coming of Jesus Christ. That was prophesied. It did not matter if anyone prayed about it, he was going to be born. He was going to be born. The second coming of Christ. Does not matter who prays, who does not pray, who is faithful, who is unfaithful. He is showing up. And he is going to show up very soon. Hallelujah. So those kinds of things, yes, you do not have to pray. You do not have to be prepared. He's coming. He's coming. So there are certain things that will happen irrespective. But as far as your personal life is concerned, and the influence that your life is supposed to have for such a time as this, 
If you are placed in this church, if you are placed in the in this city, if you are placed in this nation, then there are certain things and certain responsibilities we carry, and those things will not happen unless and until we take on that responsibility. Amen. See, the, even in the Old Testament, we see God never wanted the nation of Israel to have a king. However, they insisted that they wanted to have a king, and guess what? He gave them a king. They insisted, "We want a king. We want a king. We want a king." All right. You want a king? I'll give you a king. Was that God's best? No, it was not. No, it was not. God did not want them to have a king and yet gave them the king that they wanted. So certain times in our life, if we are ignorant and if we do not have the knowledge and if we're walking with a lack of knowledge, that will hinder the promises of God or hinder us from having an effective prayer life. In the book of Mark chapter 5, and just for time, just make a note of these verses. Mark chapter 5, starting from verse 1 all the way through verse 9. Here is where Jesus heals a demon-possessed man in the NLT. Mark chapter 5 and starting from verse 1 all the, all the way to verse 9. I'll just read starting from verse 4. Here he says, Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as often um, was... As he often was, he snapped the chains uh, from his wrist and smacked the, smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Verse 5, day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Verse 6, when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to him and bowed low before him. Now, What does that tell you? That tells you, that in spite of the fact, again, later on in these verses, we will see that it was not just one evil spirit in him. There was a legion. And yet, when he saw Jesus, even a legion of demons in one man could not stop the man from coming and bowing in front of Jesus. That's the power of choice. Are you understanding that? That's the power of choice. So, yes, demonic activity can be taking place in the life of somebody, but even in the midst of that kind of demonic activity, God has given you the ability to choose. God has still given you the ability to make the right choice. God has still given you the ability to say yes to the things of God, yes to the ways of God, so that His will will come to pass in your life. If you understand that, say amen. All right, let's quickly go to the second uh, um, hindrance. The second hindrance is the improper use of the tongue. The improper use of the tongue. The improper use of the tongue. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21. Many of you know the scripture, death and life are is in the power of the death and life are in the power of the tongue. You are either speaking life or death. What are you predominantly speaking on a daily basis? It's not about what are you it's it's not about what you speak while you're making your prayer request known to God. But what are you speaking predominantly on a daily basis? After the prayer is done, what are you speaking? Very recently, I had a, 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 you know, a time where I was, uh, I was praying for an individual. She came with a long list of, uh, uh, um, you know, regarding her family and certain things that she was going through. And she said, Pastor, I really want you to pray. And so I said, sure. And then I laid hands on her and I prayed. And after I just finished praying, she immediately opened her mouth and started talking about all her family problems again. And then she says, please kindly remember me in your prayers. Before. And that's what she said and she left. So what was her thinking 
regarding what just happened between me and her. See, she got used to getting prayed over and over and over again that that prayer had no meaning for her. You understand that? So she came with this problem. She talks to me about the issues of life. She talks to me about the issues with her children. And she wants to see a change take place in the life of her children. And yet after I, I said, yes, I will agree with you for a transformation to happen in your son's life. And I begin to pray for her. And I had my faith with hers. And as soon as I said, in Jesus' mighty name, we pray, amen. Immediately she then opens her mouth and she talks negatively about her son. Immediately. And then the last thing that she says is, Pastor, please, please remember my son in your prayers. Okay, Pastor Garu. And then she leaves. What, what's happening? She's gotten so used to speaking words that are contrary to what the word of God says regarding her son. And the Bible says death and life is in the power of the... So you can pray certain things when you come to church. When I say, let's all begin to lift our hands to heaven and begin to pray and talk to God regarding things in your life. And you begin to pray and you begin to talk. But then what are you releasing out of your mouth? Because after you finish praying, if you are releasing words of death, guess what? That's what's going to manifest in your life. That's what you're going to experience in your life. Why? Because death and life are in the power of... Now, what does that mean? That also means... Death and life is not in the power of God. Are you understanding that? Why? Because he's delegated that kind of authority to you now. Hallelujah. He's delegated that kind of authority to you. He's saying you choose and you speak words. And that's why, why do I say in this church especially, why do I try to get you to pray? Why do I say declare things over your life? Why do I say, now that we are praying, open your mouths and begin to speak words of life. Open your mouth and speak to your business. Open your mouth and speak to your family. Open your mouth and speak to your children. I even tell single people, begin to speak over your children. Why? Not because you are pregnant. You might not even be thinking about getting married, but it's in your future. And you, guess what? You can start speaking to your children even now. Why? Because death and life is in the power of the tongue. Death and life is in the power of the tongue. He says, be imitators of God like little children. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1. How did God create everything that we know? By his word. By his spoken word, more specifically. By his spoken word. And now he says, death and life is in the power of the Blessing and cursing, how do they come? Does God perform certain tricks for, for a blessing to happen? Does he, does he move his hands like a magician? He's not Dr. Strange. Are you understanding that? He's not performing some musical dance to, to, to make sure certain things happen in somebody's life. When he was healing people, he did, not, he did not jump three times and then twirl around and then the healing manifested. No. Why? He always, come on, spoke. He spoke. That's why, what did the centurion say? I'm not worthy of you coming to my house, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed or made whole. Hallelujah. Why? Because if you can speak, that's enough. Now, we understand this even on a natural level. 
But somehow, when it comes to prayer, we've disconnected what we know even in the natural. What do I mean even in the natural? For all of you that are working in various companies right now, or even if you're not working, maybe you, you, uh, you know, even if it's at your school, even if it's at your college, you understand how authority functions. The greater the authority, the more work is done simply by the words that they speak. If you have less authority, you have to do things physically. The more the authority, the less you have to do. The more you speak and things begin to happen. That's why in the book of Job, he says, you shall decree a thing and it shall be established unto you. Why? Kings do that. I said, kings do that. And the Bible says, you are kings. You are kings. Hallelujah. You are kings. That means you can speak certain things. And just for the fact that you've spoken certain things, things must align themselves according to what you have spoken. Hallelujah. So what did Jesus do? Every single, he speaks to the fig tree and the fig tree must obey. It must obey. When he speaks to the storm, it must obey. That's the kind of authority and the level of authority that Jesus walked in. Do you know why he walked in that kind of authority? Not because he was Jesus. He walked in that kind of authority because that's the kind of authority that Adam walked in. What does it mean for God to create Adam and say, have dominion? Have authority. Have authority over everything. Have authority over everything. How is it that the creature swallowed Jonah and three days later spits him out? How is it that the right fish shows up when Peter goes fishing? Do you know why? There is dominion over the fish of the sea. You understand that? There is dominion over the fish of the sea. That, you know why when I call my dog it shows up? It knows I have authority over it. I don't care where I am. I can be on the third floor and I call, it shows up. I can be on the first floor. I call, it shows up. I can be outside my house. I call, it shows up. Are you understanding that? So when, when God tells a creature to swallow Jonah, it doesn't argue. It just shows up and swallows Jonah. When God, when, when, when God speaks to the fish and say, Go, make sure you attach yourself to that hook. Make sure you fall into his net. Guess what? The fish has no option but to fall into the net of Peter. Or if he was using a fishing hook with a fishing rod, then it was going to bite the rod that day. Why? Because dominion was given. Dominion was given. I know a pastor, and he likes fishing. Every time he goes fishing, he speaks to the fish before he goes fishing. I'm serious. I'm serious. He goes to the lake, and when he sits on his boat, before he, he throws the fishing rod out, before he puts the bait, he speaks to the fish in, in, in the lake and then he goes fishing. Why? Because he understands he has dominion over that fish. He has dominion over that fish. See, if you have your mind renewed to that degree, how would you approach your job? 
How would you approach your family issues? See, the problem is either a lack of knowledge or, or, or then not properly renewing our mind to apply the knowledge that God has given to us. He speaks to it. This, the, the, this pastor that I'm talking about, when it was time for one of his properties to be sold, and they said it was a bad market, and they said that it was not getting sold. So he goes in front of his, the property, he stood in front of the property, and he pointed to the property, and he said, I'm commanding you to be sold to a, to a, a buyer that is extremely motivated, who really likes this property, and who will pay top dollar for this property. In Jesus' name, I command you to be sold by such and such time. In Jesus' name, amen. And he walked away from that place. It didn't matter what the economy was for him. He said, I've been given authority over land. He had a farmland. Every single time he sowed seed, he would speak to that land. And he says, I expect a hundredfold harvest. No crop failure whatsoever. Every insect or whatever kind of locust or whatever, you know, insects can come and damage the crop, he would already curse those things. And he says, not on my land. Not on my land. I'll have the most healthiest crop that anybody can experience. And guess what? Every year, the best crop, the best crop, the best crop, the best. He was not just praying for the best crop. He took authority and he used his tongue the, uh, the right way. The right way. And many a times, it becomes a hindrance for many believers. Why? Because we understand prayer to a certain degree, or we understand prayer only as a religious thing. So when pastor comes to our home, pastor pray for us. When we go to church, pastor pray for us. Or when we are in our family time of prayer, or when we are single, and before you go to bed in your hostel, in your apartment, you're sitting down there and you're saying, God, I need this to happen, this to happen, this to happen, in Jesus' name, amen. And then you get a phone call from your family member, a phone call from your friend, and then you say, eh, I don't know what's going to happen, you know, they never give. They're saying this about the economy. They're saying the job market is not good. They're saying I cannot do this. Now it's becoming more expensive than ever before. I know pastor said that we need to buy land this year without fail, but I don't know. I tried two, three months, but it's not going anywhere. So I don't know. I don't think it'll happen this year. All right. You don't think it'll happen this year. Guess what? It'll not happen this year. It'll not happen this year. But if you can receive the word and say, you know what? Pastor said, the righteous shall possess the land. He said that everyone under the sound of his voice must possess land in their own name. So guess what? I will possess land with my name on the title. I will possess land. I will possess land. Doesn't matter the job. I will possess land. I will possess land in the mighty name of Jesus. So every morning where you wake up, you say, God, I thank you that I'm a landowner. God, I thank you that I'm a landowner. God, I thank you that I'm a landowner. What is happening? You are renewing your mind and speaking words of life. Speaking words of life. Speak, so, so your prayer, it's not hindered, but your prayer will actually have the results that God promised. Are you understanding that? If you understand that, say amen. All right, Mark chapter 11, verse 23. Just uh, make a note of this. He said, For assuredly I say to you, whosoever shall say to this mountain, Be removed, be thou cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he... Just look at that last part. He will have whatever he... He will have whatever he... It doesn't say he will have whatever he prays. He says he will have whatever he says. 
So once again, the question is, what are you predominantly saying? What are you saying about your husband that's not coming to church right now? What are you saying about the children that may not be as obedient as you want them to be right now? What are you saying about the business that is not as successful as you would like for it to be right now? What are you saying about the people that are currently not saved, but you are praying for their salvation? What are you saying about them? Are you saying they never listen to me? They never take up my invitation? They always reject my invitation? I keep telling them I'm praying for them, but they never reject me. They, they always make fun of me. They always say, is that what you're saying all the time? What are you saying about your business? I've tried and you know, it's always this much that, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing I can do about it. Is that what you're saying all the time? What are you saying about your children? Are you saying great shall be the peace of my children? Are you saying that they will prosper in all the things that God has for them? Are you saying that they will, that, that they will be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath? That greater is he that is in them than he that is in the world? That they will always walk in the ways of God and the, the fear of the Lord? That even as they grow older, they will not depart from the ways of the Lord? Are you saying those things regarding your children? Or are you saying, you know, you, you look at their report card, and as soon as you look at their report card, you're useless. You're never going to amount to anything. Why? Because he failed one exam. So all of a sudden, you're going, to, you're going to make a judgment on his life because he failed one test. You think that one test is going to dictate the course of his life? Are you understanding what I'm saying? And there are people who are living in the realities of words that have been spoken in the past. You are living in a reality today based on the words that were spoken in the past. And that's why he says, he will have whatever he says. How powerful is your mouth? See, when you were in the, in, in the grips of the enemy, when you were in the kingdom of darkness, guess what you did? You opened your mouth and you confessed something about Jesus. You confess something about Jesus and all of hell could not stop you from entering the kingdom of God. While you were under bondage, while you were under the kingdom of darkness, in that condition, in a fallen condition, as a fallen man or woman, as a sinner, you opened your mouth and you confessed about Jesus and death and hell and all the demons in hell combined could not stop you from entering the kingdom of heaven. That's how powerful your tongue is. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. He will have whatever he says. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 2 says this, You are snared by the words of your lips. You are caught by the speech of your mouth. You are snared by the words of your lips. In other words, what, it's, what, what does it mean to be snared? You are trapped. You are trapped by the, by, by, simply by the words that are coming out of your mouth. Let me also say this. Your life is predominantly not affected by what others say about you. Your life is predominantly affected by what you say about your life. What God has blessed, no man can curse. You remember the story from the Old Testament? He says, what God has blessed, no man can curse. But if you open your mouth, and even after God blesses, you say, I am cursed, 
Guess what? That's what's going to take place. I'm a failure. Guess what? That's what's going to take place. I'm always the tail and never the head. That's what's going to take place. Why? Because even though God's will is that you are the head and not the tail, he will not violate your choice. He will not violate your will for your life. Amen. The book of James chapter 1. And again, just for time, just make a note of this. Uh, James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 in the New King James. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And it talks about the tongue here. Here he says, My brethren, let not, let not many of you become teachers. No, um, or let me just jump down to... to, 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 to. Okay, let me pick up in verse 2. It says, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man. You see that? He says, if you can get your tongue in order, he says, you're a perfect man. You've got it handled for life. You're not going to have hindrances when it comes to your prayer. You're going to be effective when you pray to, for others. You're going to be effective when you pray about your own life and your family and your finances and whatever it is that you're dealing with in your life. He says, you're going to be perfect men, able to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in the horse's mouth that, we may, that they may obey us and, and turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large, they are driven by fierce winds. They are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Verse 5, even so, everyone say even so. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. Even the tongue, even though little, it boasts great things. Things. Verse 6 says, a tongue is, on, is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so, is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. That means you speak the wrong things, your entire body gets defiled because of the wrong things that you are speaking. Then he says, uh, and sets, the fire, uh, sets on fire the course of nature, and it, set, and it is set on fire by hell. Verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Verse 8. But no man can tame the tongue. It is unruly. It is an, uh, sorry, it is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Now, let me make a comment on that. Verse 8 says, but no man can tame the tongue. Now, he's not talking about the new creation there. You understand that? He's not talking about you. Why? Because you can tame the tongue. If you cannot tame the tongue, then there is no point in reading this. <laughs> What's the point of even talking about, oh, yeah, we just wasted all this time talking about the tongue. Why? Because if, there is no, if, if, if nobody can tame the tongue, what's the point of discussing? It's just untamable. So let's just say whatever comes out. No, we can tame the tongue. Here is a simple question. Did Jesus tame his tongue? Come on. Did Jesus tame his tongue? Yes. Well, if Jesus can tame his tongue, guess what? You in Christ can tame your tongue. Are you understanding that? So for the unsaved man, he may not be able to tame his tongue. But for the believer, you can tame your tongue. Why? You also have the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Say this out loud. Say, I can tame my tongue in Jesus' name. Verse 9 says, with it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Verse 10, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. 
It, not, it should not be this way. That's what he's basically saying. He's saying, you should not have a mouth from which you are speaking blessing and then cursing at the same time. Why? Because you're a person that knows the importance of the words that you speak and you're a person that is taming your tongue. Amen? Then it goes on to say, verse 11, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grape uh, a vine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt and fresh water. That means we must make a choice of what comes out of our mouth. If you understand that, say amen. So here's the question. Are you using your tongue to bless your life or curse your life? Are you using your tongue to bless your life or curse your life? Are you using your tongue to bless your life or curse your life? Amen. Is this helping anybody? All right, quickly, let's go to number three. The third hindrance is strife. And I think we'll stop there for time for today. The third hindrance is strife. Everyone say strife. So the first hindrance was a lack of knowledge. Because if you have a lack of knowledge, then you will pray according to the limited knowledge that you have or the incorrect knowledge that you have. And when you pray incorrect prayers or when you begin to think and process things from an incorrect standpoint, you will not have the effect that you must have with your prayers. Amen? The second thing is the inappropriate uh, 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 use of your tongue. So when you do not use your tongue the way God intended, let me also say this, when, when God, the reason why God gave us a tongue, the primary reason is not for communication, the primary reason is for creation. Are you getting that? Death and life is in the power of the tongue. So the, the, the primary reason is not regarding communication. The primary reason is for creation. Everyone say creation. That means you're supposed to be creating things by the words that you speak. And number three is strife. Number three is strife. James chapter 3 and verse 14 in the Amplified. It says, but if you have bitter jealousy, envy, and contention, rivalry, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not pride yourself on it. He says, do not pride. That's not something to boast about. He says, do not pride yourself on it and thus be in defiance of and false to the truth. The KJV uses the word strife instead of that word contention. Strife instead of contention. So living in strife will cause you to be in defiance of the truth of God's word. I'll say that again. Living in strife will cause you to be in defiance to the truth of God's word. You cannot live contrary to the truth and expect to be effective in your prayer life. When God specifically does not want us to have strife with our families, he does not want us to have strife with our neighbors. He does not want us to be envious and walk in jealousy. He does not, and yet you begin to move in that direction. Don't expect your prayer life to be effective when you yourself are living a life that is against the truth of God's word. Are you understanding that? Even the first example that we looked at, the relationship between the husband and wife. What, what, what happens when they're not able to see eye to eye? What happens when they're not in agreement? That's uh, another way of putting it is they're in strife. They're in strife in that relationship. There is contention in that relationship. They, they cannot agree upon the things that they are praying for in that relationship. And he says that kind of prayer is going to be ineffective. James chapter 3, same, same chapter, jump down to verse 16. He says, for, what, 
sorry, for wherever there is jealousy, envy, and contention, again, contention meaning strife, and contention, rivalry and selfish ambition, there will also be confusion. There will be unrest, there will be disharmony, there will be rebellion, and all sorts of evil and vile practices. All sorts of evil and vile practices come as a result of you walking in strife. Everyone say strife. Which means strife must be removed from your life. Strife must be removed from your life. See, that's why sometimes what happens is we, we get into certain situations. Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe it's with your coworkers. <clears throat> Maybe, it's with <coughs> Maybe it's with your extended family. You cannot operate in strife with people in your life and then somehow expect that as soon as you approach God in prayer, that somehow you will be effective in your prayer life. Because a lot of times, when you are walking in strife, there is selfish ambition involved. There is selfishness involved to a certain degree. Whenever you are in strife, there is some degree of selfishness involved. And the Bible says not to approach God in that manner. Why? Because when there is selfishness, when there is strife, you're going against God, the grain. You're going against the ways of God. And you cannot go against the ways of God in one area and then simply come and say, God, I, <clears throat> I need prayer in a certain area of my life. That's not the way of God. Strife is never by itself. It brings along with it all sorts of evil practices. Because once strife is present, you will think of ways to get even with that other person. So now that you are in strife, if you have to lie about something, you lie. Why? You don't care. You're in strife with that person. Right? You'll spread a rumor about that person. You don't care about what other people will think about them. Why? You're in strife with that person. I don't care what happens to that person. Why? Because you're in strife. So strife is never going to be by itself. Strife will bring along with it all of its relatives. It will bring along with it all of its friends. And sooner rather than later, you will begin to invite every one of those relatives, every one of the friends that strife brings along, will begin to uh, uh, see, the, you will begin to see the manifestation of all of those things in your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 3 says this in the New King James. <clears throat> it says, For you are still carnal. For where there is envy, for where there are envy, strife, and division among you, you are... Are you not carnal, behaving like mere men? In other words, what is he saying? What is Paul saying? Paul is saying strife, that's for mere men. You're not mere men, you're a new creation. You're made in the image and likeness of God. Don't, don't, don't waste your time with, with things that mere men deal with. You're above those things. So what if they said something? So what if they mistreated you? You're a dead man in the flesh anyway. Hallelujah. In fact, you must rejoice when somebody mistreats you. You must be happy that somebody mistreated you. You know why? Because whatever the devil meant for evil, God will use it for your good. God will always use it for your good. Whenever you feel insulted, whenever you, you, you feel like they mistreated me, 
They heckled me. They said the wrong things. They did not honor me. Don't worry about it, my friend. Rejoice in those times. Rejoice in those times. Why? Because it will always lead to some sort of elevation in your life. It will always lead to some sort of elevation in your life. Always will lead to some sort of elevation in your life. Hallelujah. First Corinthians, same thing in the, in the New Living Translation. This is what it says. For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? He says, you, 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 you quarreling with your wife? You quarreling with your husband? You quarreling with your relatives? That's, that's childish stuff. That's not for the new creation. Husband, husbands and wives, if there are things that must be resolved, come on, your new creations, get them resolved. Lay aside your pride. Humble yourself before one another. Get things resolved. Why? Because being in strife and living in strife is beneath you. In the Indian culture, a lot of times, again, I'm not saying 100% of the time, but many a times, majority of the times, pride is usually relegated to the man, not the woman. Am I right? Especially in the marriage relationship. No, she should say sorry to me first or whatever. So pride is relegated to the man. Lay aside your pride. That's not something to boast about. That's childish. To be prideful in your marriage is childish. That doesn't prove that you're a man. And for all the women that walk in pride in your marriages, that doesn't prove that you're a great woman. That doesn't prove that you're a godly woman. It simply proves that you are still a childish woman, still ruled by your sinful nature. Humble yourself. It's your husband you're humbling yourself with in front of. What's the big deal? It's your wife, husbands. It's your wife that you're apologizing to. What's the big deal? Humble yourself and apologize. Humble yourself and say, you know what? We messed up. I messed up. Don't even say we. Take responsibility. Say, I messed up. Maybe I didn't say it the right way. Maybe I said the wrong thing. Whatever. I, I'm, I don't want to continue this way. Let's get this sorted out. Let's get this sorted out. Why? Because God has put us together not to live in strife. God has put us together to live in peace, love, and harmony to accomplish his divine purpose for our lives. And if we let this strife stay in our house, with the strife will come all of its evil relatives and friends and that will destroy this marriage and destroy the purposes that God has for this marriage. Hallelujah. Any mature men in this place? Any mature married women in this place? Amen. Lay aside your pride. That's not a great thing. That's not something to be uh, uh, boastful about and say, you know, she did the thing wrong and he, did say, uh, he, he made the mistake. And I will, I, you know, as long as it takes, I'll just wait. I'll just wait. I'll just wait. I'll just wait for him to come. I'll just for, wait for him to low himself, you know, uh, uh, humble himself. I'll just wait for her to humble. No, no, no. That's childish games. That's beneath you. That's beneath you. Let the world play those games, not you. I said, let the world play those games, not you. 
You were brought in covenant relationship before God Almighty. Remember the covenant you made with your wife. Remember the covenant you made with your husband. It was not just a function that you attended on that day. You made a covenant before God. Are you understanding that? You made a covenant before God. Honor that covenant. Amen? So here's the question. Is there strife that you must get rid of in your life? Is there strife that you must get rid of in your life? Now, the strife may have come because of... Let me... I don't know why I'm spending so much time on this, but maybe somebody needs it. The strife might have come because of your in-laws. You don't have a covenant relationship with your in-laws. You don't even have a covenant relationship with your parents, by the way. All the mothers, you gave birth to your children 100%. You had carried them for nine months and you went through all the process, the pain, the delivery and everything. You do not have a covenant with that child. You have a responsibility. You know who you have a covenant with? All the women. You don't have a covenant with the ones that you were born to. You don't have a covenant that, to the ones that you gave birth to. You have a covenant with the one that you got married to. All the men. You don't have a covenant with your mother. Honor your mother. Love your mother. Care for your mother. Do your absolute best for your mother. But you don't have a covenant with her. You don't. You don't. My mother is sitting right here on the front row. Love her, honor her, all of those things. And I will do to the best of my ability, I will try to honor her every way possible as long as we are here on this earth. But I do not have a covenant with her. That's nothing, that's in no way, shape or form a demotion. It's simply understanding the role that God has blessed us with. Are you understanding that? She's a great mother. She's taken care of me all of these years. She still helps me in, in so many different ways. You might never see her standing here on the pulpit and preaching right now. But at the same time, she's one of the reasons why I get to stand here and preach at the pulpit. Why? Because a lot of times when things need to be taken care of at the house with our children and so many things, even when she's tired, whatever, she comes and she helps us out. But I do not have a covenant with her. I have a responsibility towards her as a son. And I need to take care of my responsibilities as a son. But I don't have a covenant relationship with her. Are you understanding that? And the same thing for all the women. Sometimes the bond for women is with their fathers. The bond with their fathers is greater. You don't have a covenant relationship with your father. You have a covenant relationship with the one that you get married to. Are you understanding that? I know it's for somebody. So somebody was helped today. All right, let's move on. Romans 5 and verse 5. See, Galatians chapter 5 calls strife a work of the flesh. See, are you quarrelsome? Are you always getting into arguments? 
get rid of strife in your life. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5 says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been shed abroad or poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who, who was given to us. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. So we have that love. We have the capacity to love. So let us not get into strife, but let us walk in love. Amen. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 12. It says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sin. Hatred covers strife, but love covers all sin. Let's look at the life of Abraham as an example, as an example and I'll close with this. Genesis chapter 13 and starting from verse 5 in the New King James. It says, Lot also who went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together for their possessions were so great and they could not dwell together. Verse 7, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. What was there? There was, there was strife. And look what happens. The Canaanites and the Perizzites that dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, who said to Lot? Now, Abram was the elder person. Abram was the uncle. He had every right to wait and say, let's look at what Lot will do with this problem. He didn't. He took initiation. Abram went to Lot, the Bible says, and said to Lot, please, let there be no strife between you and me. Please, let there be no strife. I know it's the, our herdsmen that are fighting. We didn't have an argument. But please, let us make sure that there is no strife between you and me. Let's make sure that you and I are on the same page. Let's make sure of that. So here he says, please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Next verse. He says, is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will take the left. See, Abraham was so committed to this. He understood, I will not let strife enter the equation. Which means, I'll give you preference. My, my, my preference is not that I have the best land. My preference is that I have no strife. The preference is not about the land. The preference is I don't want strife. I don't want strife. I don't want strife in my life in any way, shape or form. If I have to let go of the money, I'll let go of the money. That's fine. Take the money, go. But I don't want strife. I don't want strife. Why? Because if I get that money through strife, it's not going to be a blessing to me. It's going to become a curse. It's going to become a poison for me. I don't want that kind of money in my life. Take it. Go. Why? I can walk into a cursed situation and turn it into a blessing when there is no strife in my life. Hallelujah. So Abram said, you want to take, you want to go to the left? I'll go to the right. I know I'm the oldest. I know I can make the rules. I know you are the only reason, Lord, you are rich is because of me. The only reason you even have herds today is because of me. If it was not for me, you would not even have herds and you would have no use of herdsmen. You have hurts because of me, you have hurtsmen because of me, but yet I will let you to take the first choice. I will let you choose the land that you want. 
Because he says, what you have seen me produce is not based on the land. What you have seen me produced is based on the God that I serve. It's based on the God that I serve. So I will not let strife enter my life so that I can save some cattle or I can possess a piece of property. You want to take it? Take it and leave. We'll still love each other, but we'll love each other from a distance. No hate, no evil intention. I will not spread rumors about you. I will not say anything bad about you. But I understand right now, we can't live together at this point. So let's depart, but let's depart in peace. No strife. Why? Because if I let strife come in, this is what Abraham knew. If I let strife come in, along with strife comes every evil work. And I don't want every evil work to be made manifest in my life. I want to believe God. See, you must come to the place where you say, I want my prayers to be effective. I don't want anything to hinder my prayers. I don't want anything to hinder the purposes of God for my life. So I'll grow in the knowledge of God. So I'll use my tongue the right way. And I'll make sure that strife will have no room in my life. Amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Hallelujah. Just talk to God for a minute. If there is strife that must be removed, right now, confess it before the, your heavenly father. Ask for forgiveness. Say, Heavenly Father, I'm sorry for the way I treated so-and-so. Maybe it's your family member, maybe a relative, maybe a co-worker, maybe even somebody in church. I don't know. But you know. Where is strife lurking? In the corner. Take care of it. Get rid of it. Kick it out of your life. No room for strife. No room for ignorance. Say, God, I want to grow in your knowledge. Speak to me. Show me your ways. As I read your word, let your truth wash over my soul. Let every negative thought, let every untrue thought be washed away. Help me to have my mind renewed. Help me to think according to your ways. So Father, when I pray, that it will not just be a religious activity, but when I pray, I know that I can have an effect. I know I can have results in my life. And God, forgive me for using my tongue to curse rather than bless. God, forgive me for not speaking life. God, forgive me for speaking against the very things I've prayed for. I receive your forgiveness. Hallelujah. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person under the sound of my voice. I thank you, Lord, that they're not here by accident. I thank you. In you is life and life everlasting. I thank you, Father, that every single one of them are blessed by you. 
that every single one of them, Father, have heard for your voice today and they will follow your voice. And the voice of a stranger they will not follow. And for that, we give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Hallelujah. I hope you were blessed by the word today. Be sure to subscribe and share this with your family and friends. If you'd like to sow into this ministry, the details are provided in the description. For more information on how to reach us or contact us, do visit our website, www.newcityhyd.in. I will see you again next time. Be blessed.